Romans is a uh, incredible book, and I hope that you're getting some understanding of what God is saying through his word, through our apostle, the one who really had us in mind when he wrote these things. What I mean by us is most of us here would consider ourselves Gentiles. And we prayed for the nations. And Paul had those people specifically in mind. That was his heart. That was what he focused on. He was a model for missions and what God was seeking to do in bringing every man, woman, and child who would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to him from every nation. And I, I truly believe there is not one nation that is exempt. And we'll understand that as we go through the passage today. That Paul is talking about every nation that has been in history have had a witness and a testimony somehow through someone God in his faithfulness has the world in his heart. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's read in Romans chapter 9. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Let's just stop there just a minute just so that you follow along jumping into this. Paul was talking about the fact that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he, like Katie has said, is like the sun. And it shines on every person. But there's a difference by where are their hearts? Are they like as wax that melt before him? Or do they get harder and harder like Pharaoh? God has not changed. He is the same. He's merciful to all who will believe and come to him. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? Let's read on then. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what the molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he was prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, 
I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. In the very place where I said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. That is, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. May God bless the reading of his word, and may he give us understanding. This passage is somewhat of a difficult passage, but I think it strikes at the very heart of what we need to understand of why Paul even wrote the book of Romans. Like I said, he was a missionary at heart. He was a Jew of of Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But God encountered him on the way to Damascus, where he was persecuting the people of the way, Christians who had come to know Jesus Christ. Paul was killing them. He was putting them in prison. And God, Jesus Christ, in a revelation, stopped him in his tracks and made him a missionary. To who? To the very people he despised. Incredible, incredible that a man of this calling and stature could even be saved. And I'm sure that many of those Christians that first met Paul and saw him, they wondered, is this really the case with this man? Or is he just an undercover spy? Has he come in to say he's like us and then he's going to capture us, put us in prison, and have us killed? It would have been easy for us to to surmise that. How many of you are spying right now on MCC in this basement hideaway that we're in? We know who you are. And God can confront those whose heart have evil intent. And he can be the one that changes us from the inside out, as he did for Paul. This uh, I've broken down into... A fancy title. I I thought it was fancy anyway. (laughs) The potter, the people, and the stumbling stone. 
doesn't tell you much about what uh, we're going to talk about, but let's see how we uh, parse it out. First of all, in verses 19 to 24, it's about the potter and the clay. In verses 25 to 29, not my people will be called my people. And then in 30 to 33, the stumbling stone. Paul says, uh, as we uh, are examining his uh, argument, he's really diving right into the very core now of what he's been talking about. This is where his argument all the way up through these nine chapters is should, I say is, but it should make sense to us. This is where he's going. He's arrived at this conclusion with what we're talking about today. He's talking about not racism, the Jew against the Gentile. He's talking about law and grace. He's talking about law and faith in that grace that is extended to us as a people. And he makes that a very strong statement by the fact that in his very very outset in chapter 1, he was saying that this is the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ, his son. So he told us where he was going, and this is where he has arrived. This is the gospel of God. An amazing thing about it is, when we say the word God, particularly here in Japan, but in other cultures and and nations. That word for us in the English language, I don't even know what the the root what what is G O D. I mean some people have said, well it means good. God God good. Well I don't know. I don't know what the root is. But we use it so frequently. And we talk about it in English. And, oh yeah, we all know what we mean when we say God. Do we really understand? Until you've gone through the book of Romans, I don't think you really understand that word God. Because of the fact that Paul has taken so much time to show what kind of a God he is. Now, in Japan, what do we have? Six million gods or 14 million? What is the number? Eight million. Eight million, okay. Eight million gods. Well, who who is God here then? What does it mean? Does it have any meaning? And Paul has shown us who this God is. I'm not on? Well, you'll have to pick this up, the rest of it on tape somewhere. <laughs> no, you guys heard what it was. You'll just relate to those people that listen. Uh, here I am, and I've just put huge questions in everybody's mind. <laughs> what do we mean when we say God, the gospel of God? And... 
some evangelists in the United States say, God. God. Well, I'm not very good at that. I'm not an evangelist. But what do we mean when we say God? Okay? Here's what Paul is throwing out here to us. And he, by the way, Paul is not the original writer of these thoughts and concepts. He is taking them directly from his upbringing as a Pharisee knowing the scriptures thoroughly. By the way, Paul's favorite author was also Jesus' favorite author. Anybody know who that was? Isaiah. So Paul is saying in this reference, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to a molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So the definition that Paul is drawing on is from Isaiah. And the God who created us is the one who we're talking about, the creator God, who made each one of us so individual and so diverse. And our hearts should be moldable. He's the molder of us, the molded. Are you allowing his hands to get around your heart and to press you in to what he desires you to be? That's the whole secret of living a successful life. Not by worldly standards, but by scriptural standards. It's not by performance. It's by letting him mold us. Or, as Katie relayed to us, getting harder. We get harder. Have you ever watched a potter throw a pot or throw a, a, piece, a, a piece of clay? How many have seen that? Well, some of you need to go out and find a potter. Uh, there's a bunch of them around here, I'm sure, in uh, the towns and cities up in uh, Tochigiken. You ever heard of Mashkoyaki? We went there so many times I can't even count it and watched potters. In fact, we even, I baptized a potter from that village who was very famous. He passed away, but he's now with the Lord. Mashkoyaki is is, uh, really the clay of clays. It's not like uh, noritake. Mashkoyaki is very earthy. It's very much like our hearts, I think. And one night, I went with my friend, and he had a, what do you call it, his kiln was not just a one fire oven, but it was an ascending oven going up a hill. And I helped him stock his clay 
in that oven to prepare for burning it. And the fire is built at the bottom and the heat rises and goes up this ascending kiln. And you work all night long putting the, the wood on the fire to fire this, to make these pots. And he gave me some pots that he said, oh no, that's junk. I found them in his junk pile. And he said, oh no, I, I made a mistake on that. Don't take that. Well, I did anyway. <laughs> and Katie used them for a number of years. They were flawed, but they were neat pots. But God is not satisfied with flawed pots. Do you know that in your life? You might think, why has he made me like this? What's he doing in my life? God has a design for each one of us. And he's crafting it very carefully. And because he is the master potter, he doesn't make mistakes like my friend. You got that? He doesn't make mistakes. So what he's doing in turning you and molding you, and I've watched my friend put his hands in the water and get them just right. In fact, he said, Ron, why don't you try it out? Well, it looked so easy, very easy. And so I got it. So I, I was getting, I don't know what I was making. I, and I think that was one of the problems. I didn't know what I was doing. But I had my hands in the water and then I'd form it and the wheel was spinning around and I was keeping it going. And then all of a sudden, my hands got dry. It was just a massive mess. I'd gotten it coming up to looking like some kind of a flower vase that I was going to fire for Katie for her flowers. But it all of a sudden collapsed in my hands. I wasn't a master potter. But the Lord himself is a master. Okay, I'm spending too much time on this point. <laughs> but, but who are you, O oh man, to answer back to the potter? If he's chosen you to be a pot for taking out the garbage, you're going to be a pretty good pot for taking out the garbage. If he's made you for a beautiful flower vase, 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 vase. He, oh, 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 no. <laughs> oh, we've got anarchy going on here. <laughs> that you can put on the center of your table and have this beautiful bouquet coming out of it. That's what he's designed you for. That's what he wants from us. That yieldedness. So that when we are moldable, he can use us for what he's designed us for. You got that? It's beautiful. What you prepared beforehand, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Let's go on. Verses 25 to uh, 29. And indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. Do you know the story of Hosea? Have you read that book? Is it one of your favorite books? No, it's pretty nasty. Why is it in the Bible? 
You don't even want your kids to read the Bible. Hosea is there to show who God is, what his heart is all about, and what kind of people he's going after. Can you imagine even getting a a message from God and saying, go and marry that harlot? Whoa! How could that be the God of the Bible to say that to one of his servants? But Hosea did and lived out that prophecy. Hosea is an incredibly hard book to read and to know what was going on. But he says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. That's why Jesus went to a tax collector's house. That's why he reached out to the prostitutes. That's why he reached out to the Samaritan woman. That's why he reached out to even Peter. And even to Paul, the murderer. That's why he's reached out to you. Once you were not my people. And now I call you my people. That's the gospel. That's the kind of God we have who so dares to take his message, his gospel, to a contradictory prophet, a person that tells about the vileness of the nations in the book of Hosea. And God's heart is toward her, toward them. That is the heart of our God. That's what G-O-D means to us when we talk about our God. They were only a remnant that were saved. And as Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 1-9, to if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Last year we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's choice to live in Sodom. It's an ugly story. It's a story that is not for bedtime reading. It's ugly. But it's even uglier when you know the choice that Lot made to go live there. God said that he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Abraham do? He loved his nephew. He had raised him like a son, which Abraham at that point had had no son. But Abraham raised and took along Lot as a son. They finally parted ways, and Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah to live. And the end of the story of what happened to Lot when God said, I'm going to bring down fire on this city. And Abraham said, no, no, no. If there's, if there's 50, will you spare the city? And God said, yes. My mercy can go that far. And then Abraham thought, I don't think there's 50 righteous in that, that city. 
How about 30? Would you go for 30? And God said, yes. I'll go for 30. And Abraham again had the third thought. I don't think there's even 30 righteous people in that city. What about 10? Will you spare this city for 10? Knowing that that Lot, his loved nephew, was there with his family. But God said, even for 10. And Abraham stopped asking and hoped that there would be 10. But the angels went down there. And I won't tell what happened. But it is the same situation that we have in our world, in our nations today. The exact same thing is happening in the news. You read it in the internet. You get it in your newspapers. You know it in the movies. You know what is going on. But the angels warned Lot and his two daughters and his wife. And they escaped. But what does the prophecy says? Isaiah said, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Did you know that even though Lot and his wife and his daughters escaped, there was no offspring. There was no offspring for Lot. No godly offspring. What kind of a God do we serve? We serve a just and righteous and holy God who knows the heart of every one of us. And he will have mercy depending on what our hearts are like. That's the message. That's the word to us. In fact, that is why we should be so burdened for our relatives, our friends, that they now not come under the heavy hand of God. There is judgment coming. I will have mercy. On whom I will have mercy. But he says, not my people, I will call my people. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law or fulfilling that law. Why? because they did not pursue it by faith. I read some comments the other day on the internet. It was in the news. And it was talking about faith. And there were some comments there that were deriding people that believed in a God by faith, a God that they could not see, and they had to just presume. That was their words that he would have mercy on them. That's the kind of God that we serve. He wants us to believe him even if we can't see him. Where are our hearts? Are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? And that was the condemnation 
that happened to Israel. They were walking by sight. They were walking by doing rather than by trusting. And God had asked them to follow him by faith. But here's the exciting thing that I want to close with, the stumbling stone. Behold, this is Isaiah also, Isaiah 8, 14 to 28, 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, who is this him? Who is this him that Isaiah is referring to? Obviously a man. It's, it's the male pronoun. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And yes, they can say whatever they want on the internet and, and say, well, you're just a bunch of fools to believe in a Christianity where some man, some Jewish guy, dies for you and you're all saved. Doesn't make a bit of sense. It's ridiculous. You're stupid. That's basically what this person was writing. Because they don't believe. You know where this passage is also written about the stone? Matthew 21, 42 to 44. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem the week of the Passover in which he was to give up his life. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. That means save us, save us. Israel was under the heavy hand of the Romans and, by the way, under the heavy hand of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they had just about had it for all of their rulers, both religious and political. And they were shouting, you know, you know the, the song that I think is very, very wrong. We don't sing it here. Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. We should say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Rather than a praise, it's help us, help us. We're at the end of our rope. That's what Hosanna means. And the Sadducees and Pharisees are saying, stop your people from saying this. What did Jesus say? If they don't cry out, the rocks will. But you know what? It came to me several years ago, and I think I've got it right. The rocks will cry out. Anybody got a... uh, a cell phone or a computer right here. You know what that's made of? Not not the glass and the plastic around it. I mean, I'm talking about the, the chip. What is a chip? It's a rock. It's a stone. It's sand. Silicon. That's why we call California Silicon Valley, or part of it anyway. The stones will cry out. What did Jesus know? He knew it long before Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. He made it. Yeah. The stones will cry out. But 
He wasn't referring to that. He was referring to this of Isaiah's prophecy. And he says to the Sadducees and Pharisees who confronted him and they were ready to pounce on him like a pack of wolves. And they did in just a day later. Jesus referred to himself in talking to the Pharisees. He said, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We need to pray for Israel. They're at a turning point when I believe that there are going to be many Jewish people that will turn to Christ. Do you know why? Do you know why? Not because they're such a great nation. They're just as bad as any other nation, morally. Not because they have a a great guy with Netanyahu who's studying the Bible, by the way. The reason why they are going to benefit is because of the prayers of believers in Yeshua. We need to pray for Israel. Why? Because their lives are our stake. The God that promised Israel is a promise-keeping God. And it will come to pass. The Lord is good and merciful. And he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he wants us to know that. To know that it's not just him just picking out here and there. But he's looking for what kind of hearts we have. Where are we in our hearts? Are we just meeting here religiously? I don't believe so. I know many of you, your hearts are toward the Lord. That's a good place to be, particularly these days. The Lord bless you in a heart toward him. Believe in our Savior, believing him to be the one who brings us salvation our chief cornerstone. And so, a cornerstone, just to give you an explanation of what that might mean. I tried to get a picture of uh, this uh, last spring. We visited Himeji Castle. It's an incredible castle. And those walls come down. The, The castle sits up on this rock foundation. And the, the foundation comes down in a very sharp edge. Well, they've got the same thing if you go down to the emperors here in Tokyo. But nothing like what we see in Himeji. This comes down into the water there. Somewhere down there, there is what is called a cornerstone. The cornerstone sets the definition of what that building is going to be. And if they have it just a little crooked, 
that building will forever be a little crooked. Cornerstones are very important. And that cornerstone of Jesus Christ in our life sets us for his blessing and his power in our lives. He is the chief cornerstone. Bless his name.